So we are in Acts chapter 18 on page 1099 in the Pew Bible. If you did not bring a copy of the Bible or have the Bible app, you can find a Pew Bible in the Pew in front of you. Turn over to page 1099 and there you will find Acts chapter 18. Starting in verse 18, we're going to continue the story of how God is sharing the good news of Jesus around the world after Jesus' resurrection and ascension to be with the Father in heaven. And he used ordinary folks like you and me to share this good news of Jesus. And we're going to read about some of those today, Priscilla, Aquila, Apollos, and Paul. And so as we continue the story, read with me Acts chapter 18, verse 18. Paul stayed on in Corinth for some time. Then he left the brothers and sisters and sailed for Syria, accompanied by Priscilla and Aquila. Before he sailed, he had his hair cut off at Centuria because of a vow he had taken. They arrived at Ephesus, where Paul left Priscilla and Aquila. He himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to spend more time with him, he declined. But as he left, he promised, I will come back if it is God's will. Then he set sail from Ephesus. When he landed in Caesarea, he went up to Jerusalem and greeted the church and then went down to Antioch. After spending some time in Antioch, Paul set out from there and traveled from place to place throughout the region of Galatia, Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited, them, invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. When Apollos wanted to go to Achaia, the brothers and sisters encouraged him and wrote to the disciples there to welcome him. When he arrived, he was a great help to those who by grace had believed. For he vigorously refuted his Jewish opponents in the public debate, proving from the scriptures that Jesus was the Messiah. This is the word of God. Let's go to him in prayer now. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is inspired by you, written by human hands, but we know that you are at work not only in producing the scriptures for us, but at work in a living word that speaks to us even now, even today. And I pray that as, as you speak to us through your scriptures, that your Holy Spirit would impress upon us what you would have us to hear and help us to be faithful to what you tell us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. A couple things uh, real quick. Today we do not have Kingdom Kids, just FYI. Uh, normally on Sundays when we have the Lord's Supper, we don't have Kingdom Kids. Kingdom Kids is a ministry for those who are out of the nursery, but maybe not quite old enough to sit in the service without much of Wigglies. And so that's a great ministry that we have on most Sundays except for today. Second quick thing is we are continuing our leadership training, which just started last Sunday night. It's open to everyone, anyone who's interested in coming, 6 o'clock tonight in our CLC, which stands for Christian Life Center, Fellowship Hall, downstairs of the metal building right over here. Just show up at 6 o'clock and we're going to have a great time talking about leadership in the local church. If you want more info on that, 
you can go to fbckennedy.org slash lead. And I am posting study videos every Wednesday night, and you'll find links to the videos at that website, and you can watch those studies as well. Okay, getting into today's message. You heard a lot of names here, right? Uh, but I want to focus on three names, one individual and two couples. But before I get to that, or one couple, but before I get to that, I want to ask you a question, okay? Out of all the Bible, who is your favorite character in Scripture? This is interactive, so I do want you to answer, and let's just get it out of the way. Yes, Jesus is at the top of all of our list, okay? But... Let's see if maybe second on the list, who might that be, all right? Favorite Bible character, second only to Jesus. What do you say? Paul, the Apostle Paul, who we also heard a little bit about in this passage too, right? Very good. Paul, who else? John, Peter. What did, what did mom say? Matthew, the tax collector, because I'm named after Matthew. That's a good answer. That's a good answer, babe. Anybody else? What did you say, Rose? Esther, Esther, Ruth. You said Ruth, too? Huh? Nathan? Thank you, Nathan. (laughs) Now, notice in our list, nobody is mentioning Apollos. Now, Apollos is who we read a little bit about today, okay? And actually, they found an old, an old painting of Apollos hanging in one of the churches, okay? Here's a picture of him. <laughs> okay, maybe, maybe that was Apollo Creed from the Rocky movie. Maybe I got confused about that, all right? <laughs> Just a little bit. I wanted to put the one of him and Rocky on the beach where they're jumping up in the air, but I thought that might be a bit much. That might be a bit much. Okay, so Apollos is, uh, is I think, really an interesting uh, person to learn a little bit about. His name doesn't show up a ton in Scripture, but he is there. We, don't, we not only read about him here in Acts chapter 17, but Paul would actually later write about Apollos in his letter to the Corinthians that we were reading from earlier about the Lord's Supper, right? And Apollos goes on, he goes on, you read at the end of that, Achaia. And actually, I have a little map here, and I'm going to try to do something Real fancy. I've been trying to learn some new technology for you guys, okay? And so we'll see how this goes, all right? I think it's going to work, all right? So uh, I can spotlight. Is that working? Did it work? Oh, okay. It's not working on that screen, but it's working on this screen. Okay. All right, so there's Corinth, okay? So Paul left to go back. You can see his missionary journey. He came over to Ephesus. We read about that, and that's where we see... Uh, in Ephesus is where uh, Apollos first comes on the scene and is meeting with Aquila and Priscilla. Aquila is the husband, Priscilla is the wife. And then we know uh, Paul continued on and went all the way back over to Caesarea and Jerusalem, okay? I'm going to let go of that. All right. So this is just a map of Paul's secondary, second missionary journey. And what we're actually covering here is the very end of his second missionary journey. And what we learn here is that Apollos actually leaves uh, Ephesus, and he will go to Achaia. And that, uh, Achaia is like a region or a country, okay? And inside Achaia was the city of Corinth, and that's where he would do some ministry. I say all that because this is kind of the only other place in Scripture where we learn much about the 
about Apollos is because it's there that he has a strong ministry and other people begin to compare Apollos to Paul. And Paul says, look, we're all, we're all on the same team and the team is not Apollos. The team is not Paul. It's team Jesus. We're all on Jesus' team. That's all that matters. And so he would say, some say I'm, some in the church in Corinth would say, I follow Apollos, I follow Paul, so on and so forth. And Jesus, and, uh, and Paul says, no, 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 we're all on team Jesus. So what I want to look at specifically uh, is this relationship between Apollos and Priscilla and Aquila. Again, Priscilla is the wife. Aquila is the husband. We read about their interaction with Paul earlier in the city of Corinth before they head to Ephesus and they run into Apollos. And one of the things we learn about Apollos is that this guy is tremendously gifted. I mean, it's, it's impressive. In fact, it's one of the tensions in the church in Corinth where Apollos would go after he stays in Ephesus. Again, Ephesus is where he met Priscilla and Aquila was doing ministry there, and then he said he wanted to go to Achaia. Achaia is the country. Inside that country is the city of Corinth, right? So he had a, a, a strong ministry in Corinth, and he was so impressive in his preaching and teaching and abilities that he kind of put Paul to shame. And so the people there really had a hard time wanting to follow or listen to Paul because they were all about Apollos. At least some of them did, and that's part of what caused the tension. The, the only point I'm trying to make here is this guy was tremendously gifted in preaching and teaching. He was able to look into, we read this at the end, he was able to look into the Old Testament and help people connect the dots so that they could see that Jesus is the Messiah, right? That's what he says, for he vigorously refuted the Jewish opponents in public debates, proving from the scriptures that Jesus was the Messiah. And that was happening in the, in the country of Achaia. But even before that, while he's in Ephesus, we read that he was not only a learned man in the middle of verse 24, with a thorough knowledge of Scripture, but he had been instructed in the way of the Lord. Somewhere in Apollos' life, he came across the instructions of Jesus. And we actually read that not only was he instruction, instructed in the way of Jesus, but when he talked about Jesus, he spoke about Jesus accurately. But there was a gap. See, Apollos evidently began to follow Jesus out of the ministry of John the Baptist. If you don't know that story, uh, you can uh, read the gospel narratives and find out about John the Baptist, particularly in John uh, chapter 1. You can read about, in early chapters in the gospel of John, you can read about the ministry of John the Baptist. There was a gap between the Old Testament and the New Testament of about 400 years where they had not heard a word from God through the prophets of God. And then comes John the Baptist to prepare the way for Jesus, the Messiah. And as he's telling people, look, someone's coming that's greater than me. Someone's so amazing, I don't even, I don't even deserve to bend over and tie or untie his shoe or his sandal. That's how impressive this guy is. This is the Messiah. He's the one we've been waiting for to come and save us. So people would gather around John the Baptist and say, okay, what well, what do we do? And John the Baptist said, we're going to get baptized as a way to prepare ourselves, repenting of our sins and preparing ourselves for Jesus. Somewhere, somehow, Apollos heard that message from someone who was following John the Baptist, maybe from John the Baptist himself, but he heard that message and was most likely baptized through the baptism of John the Baptist. 
But when Jesus comes along, there's a different kind of baptism. A baptism that represents the new life that they would have in Christ. And that kind of baptism superseded John the Baptist's baptism. But Apollos didn't know about the baptism in Jesus. He knew about Jesus. He could teach accurately about him, but there was something missing in his knowledge or experience, and that was the baptism of Jesus. He only had known the baptism of John, right? And so when he comes along and he's out there preaching and teaching in the city of Ephesus, Priscilla and Aquila notice he's missing that element, his understanding of baptism in Jesus' name, and they bring, them into, bring him into their household and they begin to help him understand the way of God more adequately, the end of verse 26 says. Now what I want to do is I want to take a look at this interaction between Apollos and uh, this couple, Priscilla and Aquila. Because I think there's something for us here that we can learn. And it's very, very, very basically in one sentence, and then we're going to unpack it, is that the interaction between these two teaches us two things, I think. The first one is we need to be selfless enough to teach what we know about Jesus. And we also want to be humble enough to learn. Selfless enough to teach, humble enough to learn, right? Now just imagine Priscilla and Aquila. They're, they're witnessing an incredible preacher, teacher of God's word. And, and he wasn't just up there talking like I'm talking to you, right? He was interacting with people. People were throwing their best argument against what he had to say about Jesus his way. And he was able to show them from Scripture how he was, what he was saying was true and what they were saying was incomplete. They were missing some things about Jesus. He was incredible. And if I were Priscilla or Aquila, I'll go with Aquila, okay? If I were Aquila in this scenario, I would be very hesitant. Like, this, this dude's amazing. I don't know. I don't really want to pull him aside and say, hey, this little part about baptism... You haven't heard the whole story. Can I share with you the whole story? I would be very hesitant to do that because he was such an impressive figure, right? But Priscilla and Aquila were selfless enough to share some things that, or at least one thing, that Apollos needed to know. It's a selfless role to teach what you know. Now, here's one of the things you may be thinking. What do I know that I could teach someone else? And here's the point. Your job is not to teach someone all they need to know. Our job as Christians is to simply share what we know with those who need to hear it, right? We are never going to be able to give someone everything they need to know about Jesus. It's impossible. That is not any one of our job. Not any one of us can do that. It's not any one of our job to do that. Our only job is to be open to the Spirit to lead us to share what we do know with those who need to hear it. So the first thing I want to point out in, in Aquila and Priscilla's willingness to teach is they were selfless in that they gave what they did know. Certainly even they did not know everything about Jesus. But they didn't let that stop them from sharing what they did know. They didn't let the fearfulness of approaching a guy like Apollos, who was very impressive in his preaching and teaching, they didn't let that stop them from sharing with him something that, they needed, something that he needed to know. 
There's a third part about this first point in the overall message, if you're following along, that I think is worth pointing out. Is that they didn't just walk up to him and say, hey, you missed this. You haven't heard? Where have you been? John the Baptist, Old Testament, that's old, or John the Baptist, uh, baptism, that's old news. We're in a new covenant now. What we read in Scripture is that uh, in the middle of verse 28, when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home. There's an old saying that I think it's a bit trite. You've heard it, maybe a little bit worn out. Still true. People don't care how much you know until they know. Let's try it again. Until they know. That's still pretty weak sauce, but we'll keep moving, okay? Okay, yeah. They showed him we care about you as a person. Come eat with us. I, I don't know about you, but uh, I'm not particularly fond of just inviting anyone and everyone over to our house to eat. One, we have four children, and we may never see them again after they come to our house and witness our chaos, okay? But seriously, I mean, they were willing to open their home. They, wanted, they didn't want to just correct Apollos. There's plenty of people who just want to correct, right? We live in a world that is eager to correct they wanted to have a relationship with him to serve him selflessly so that he might have some information, some knowledge, some experience that he would not otherwise have. They were selfless enough, brave enough, courageous enough, but relational enough to say, we care about you and we can't give you everything you need to know, but we'll give you what we have that would serve you. And I think that's important for us. Okay, so whether it's with your children or the ministry in which you serve him, whether there's people in which you could share Jesus, strangers on the street, people down the road from you, whomever. As people bring people into your life, as God brings people into your life, and you have something to share with them in the context of relationship, I just want to encourage you to selflessly teach or share what you know about Jesus. And it will be an incredible blessing to those that hear it. Here's the second point. Apollos was humble enough to hear it. Now just put yourself in his shoes, all right? He's swatting down the best arguments from the brightest people left and right. He's, he's spot on with everything. He's, he's accurate. It says that he, was, he knew the scriptures. He was well instructed. Everything he had to say about Jesus was accurate at the middle of verse 25, He's, he's gaining a following. He's gaining a hearing. I mean, he's an impressive figure. If that were you, would you want to hear from this tent maker couple? That's what they did. They made tents. They just showed up in Ephesus, showed up in, in, in the town you've been in, been ministering in, and now they show up and they want to have you over and tell you what you got wrong. I remember in college I had a... Uh, okay, so I identify with that perspective. Paulus didn't have it. But I certainly have had that in my life. Like, if you don't know what you're talking about, I don't want to hear it. And that's not a great attitude to have. But I'll be honest with you. I get that attitude sometimes, especially if I know something about it. And I remember in college, I took a youth ministry class from a guy who never did youth ministry. And I had been doing youth ministry. And my pride swelled so high. and just said, This guy can't teach me anything. He doesn't know anything. If you haven't had boots on the ground doing this work, what do you know? I mean, it was very arrogant, very prideful. And I don't think I learned anything because I had the wrong attitude. 
And we may get in that place sometimes where we don't want to hear anything from anyone because either we know it all or whatever we don't know, we don't need to know, right? And we can take on that posture of pride. But what Apollos teaches us here is impressive as he was, he was humble enough to learn. I've given this illustration before, but just imagine you have a whiteboard or a chalkboard up here, okay? Now imagine I asked you to come up and I gave you either a piece of chalk or I gave you a uh, marker. And I said, okay, this board represents everything you could possibly know in the entire universe, including all the things you could possibly know about God. Okay, you with me? You tracking so far? Now, you take your marker, you take your piece of chalk, and I want you to come up here and mark with a circle how much of everything, including God, you know. Now, my question is, how big would your mark be? If the chalkboard or whiteboard represented everything you could possibly know, including all that you could know about God, and you're going to draw a circle regarding how much you know about all of that, how big would your circle be? Big, medium, small. I think if we were honest, it would be so small you could not see it, right? Here's my point. There's a lot to know about God. And we don't want to be in the position we are so proud that we think we have nothing else to learn. And certainly no one else around can teach us. And in fact, it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. If I am too proud to learn, I will not learn. But if I am humble enough to be open to what people want to teach, what people want to show me, what someone wants to encourage me with, there's a very great chance that I will be a learner. and I will know more of God. And the more you know of God, the more there is to love of God. And the more you love God, the more opportunity you will find to be obedient because your spirit is in alignment with that great relationship you have with God. Because learning is never something that's just an exercise in and of itself when it comes to God. We want to be humble enough to learn because we want to know more of him. We want to know more of him so we can love him more than we do now. And we want to love him more than we do now so that we can obey him more faithfully than we are currently obeying him. So many good things come from having a humble disposition to be a learner. So when you feel that pride rising up in your spirit when somebody has something to say to you, when you read something that may, may be beneath you, when you feel that sense of pride that you know more than anyone else, just remember, there's nothing to learn when you have a prideful spirit. But there is so much to learn when you're humble in spirit. So, what we can take away from Apollos, Priscilla, and Aquila, I think, is this. We want to be selfless enough to teach or share what we know about Jesus with those around us, but we also want to be humble enough to learn as much as we can about Jesus. And in this way, being selfless and humble, I think we come across uh, the perfect connection, which is our Savior, Jesus himself, who was perfectly selfless and perfectly humble.
I think one of the passages of Scripture that that, uh, really captures Jesus' humility and his selflessness comes from Hebrews. Chapter 5, verses 7 through 9. Let Let me share this with you. In this letter, we don't know exactly who wrote it. Some actually think it may be Paul. Some, may, some actually think it may be Apollos. Might be one of those two. Might be somebody else. Whoever wrote it said this. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and, petition, and petitions, which is like a request, with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Son though he was, he learned. You see that? Jesus himself was a humble learner. Son though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And once made perfect, he became the source of eternal life for all who obey him. How did he become the source of eternal life? He selflessly gave himself that we might know God. And in fact, he was known as the greatest rabbi or teacher people had ever heard. He was sharing with them the way of God. He gave his life selflessly, and yet he was incredibly humble. Here's the thing, is that that's the God we follow. That's what our faith is centered on, is a God who became flesh, who humbled himself to be a servant, Philippians chapter 2, to give his life, even life as he gave his life as a criminal dying on a tool used to punish and murder criminals, the cross. That is who our God is. Jesus, God in the flesh, was that humble. And when he was here, he gave everything that we needed to know about God He gave himself, he poured himself out that we might know God the Father by having a relationship with God the Son through the work of God the Spirit in our lives. So if that is the God we follow, this humble God who is willing to become flesh and go through suffering that he might learn obedience, the writer of Hebrews tells us, And yet a selfless servant of God who was willing to pour himself out that we might know something we didn't know, which is not just knowledge, but an actual experience of a relationship with God. If that's who we follow, then that's who we want to be. We want to be selfless enough to share what we know about Jesus with others and humble enough to learn as much as we can from whomever we can so that we might know more of God, so that we might love more of God, so that we might serve and obey God more faithfully in our lives. Let's pray together.